Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Oh my goodness, are you ever going to be blessed by the conversation today? I am so happy that you are here because uh, we're going to present a voice and a viewpoint and a perspective that's difficult to find. Uh, That is a voice of authority, experience, uh, scientific expertise in the area of abortion research. Very, very difficult to find. And it pleases me very much to welcome to our guest, Dr. Priscilla Coleman, who's a professor of human development and family studies at Bowling Green University. And she's researched the impact of abortion on mental health, mortality, interpersonal relationships. And she speaks often about the impacts of abortion on mental health, as well as risk factors for adverse post-abortion outcomes and bias in publishing research on abortion and mental health. Dr. Coleman, welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. Thank you, Kim. It's wonderful to be here. I should also say, too, she's a, you're a survivor. I mean, my, my husband was like, well, who's your guest today? And I said, well, Dr. Coleman, I talked to you, said, how does she keep her job at Bowling Green? <laughs> because... well, actually, it was a miracle probably that it lasted as long as I did. But actually, I'm just recently retired, ah. so I've been able to focus more on the, uh, on the issue and on trying to help states with very either enact laws or maintain laws. So I, my work as an expert has uh, taken taken on a lot of my time in recent in the last couple of years. So I'm happily retired, but Bowling Green was great to me while I was there. Oh my goodness! I mean, any university that would that would support a voice of dissent. Uh, such as yours has been. It's just a voice of truth, but it ends up to be dissent because of the prevailing narrative. Uh, it's it really is striking and something to right. be to behold. <laughs> so well, I think they just tolerated me. That would be better better way to put it. Um, they my, all of the um, promotions and so forth were based on peer reviewed articles, so I had what was required. But um, I they kind of looked the other way. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm thankful to have had a job all those years. Mm. Well, and congratulations on your retirement. You know, you. when I think about this, um, I, I was drawn into the uh, area of speaking publicly about the detrimental impact of abortion on the women who experience it. Back in 2001, uh-huh. after uh, I had a religious experience and, and a faith-based experience where God redeemed the guilt and the grief of the abortion in my past, which had right. happened some 20 years earlier. And I was a broadcast mm-hmm. professional, and, and so he called me to speak truth. So I, I, I was going to yeah. do that. Well, first I had to start finding out, was anybody else impacted by this? This is how strong the denial and, you know, right. it, it, whatever, right. avoidance right. was. So, oh, a million a year, all right, there is 
probably an audience for a message like this and started speaking yeah. out in my, you know, my town where I was working. And I was working for a big uh, general market radio station and had some visibility there. And, you know, the forces of big abortion came against me, you know, uh, trying to um, censor me, Thank trying you. to label me as disinformation, all the things that we're seeing today around, right. you know, any controversy uh, against a prevailing narrative. I experienced firsthand. And even in trying to do that research about the impact, Dr. Coleman, I you know, I found all of the all of the minefield of abortion data, like who who published it, what is their bias, could you even tell if you were just a casual reader? Um right. I, and on your perspective, I'm sure, is one that is um even more uh uh battle polished than mine. Well, I don't know. It's with different perspectives, um, for sure, but the realities are the same. I think the truth comes through the data. It comes from through women's hearts. And um, so, you know, we, we do know that abortion uh, is detrimental to a very high percentage of women, and it's not a healthy choice, as the mainstream pitches it. And, you know, so, for example, Planned Parenthood's representative in the Twin Cities, where I was working at the time, cited in the newspaper in, you know, criticizing an event that we had put uh, forward. And it was, by the way, it was um, approved by the state of Minnesota for CEs for social workers, marriage and family therapists, licensed psychologists. The state saw the benefit of it, even though it was a faith-based conference. But they they cited their well-worn figure that only 5% of women will have any negative mental health impact from abortion. And I'd like to right. have you address that and see if that's where the research and, you know, the data lines up from, from your experience. Okay, well, it's been a long history of a study of the psychological implications of abortion dating back pre-Roe. And when I started studying this topic, I was a doctoral student at West Virginia University, and I so that was in the late 90s, and um, I actually had published a little bit prior, mid-90s, and there just wasn't very much out there. The quality of the studies was not uh, strong generally, and almost all of the data seemed to indicate that abortion was benign, that it was a healthy choice, and, um, and I just thought this can't be true. I had known people who had abortions and suffered from them, and so I was intrigued by the topic. I actually had a roommate in college who suffered from a psychotic episode after an abortion. Now I know that's extremely rare. There have only been a few cases, but um, having watched her transformation sort of set the seed in my brain that this mm. is an important topic. And so, uh, the, so the early studies were not very well done. Then by around 2008, Eight to 2012, there was a proliferation of studies from groups around the world, um, notably uh, David Ferguson from New Zealand, who was actually very pro-choice, a rational atheist is how he described himself, but his 25-year data set uh, that was so strong, had high retention rates, just great variables, lots of controls, and his data indicated that abortion significantly increases women's risk for depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and suicidal behaviors. And he was outspoken about, you know, this is a 
this is a, a problem that needs much more research. And uh, it wasn't his primary area of study, and he was well-established. And so anyway, he was just one example. And so many studies started coming out. I published a meta-analysis in the British Journal of uh, um, the the um, sorry the British Journal of Psychiatry and that was so that stood as and still stands as the largest study in the world because I combined data from all these various studies that met uh, strong criteria that had to have over a hundred participants there had to be a comparison group had to be controls and so um, that got a lot of press. Um, I think because it was international and there may be less bias than they are in certain countries compared to here. But I found that women who had an abortion compared to women who didn't had an 81% increased risk of mental health problems. And so now in 2023, there's all kinds of evidence that from very large studies throughout the world that indicates for sure abortion increases women's risks of having serious mental health problems. Um, so getting that message out is not easy. It's not when the meta-analysis was published, uh, the London Times and news outlets throughout the world covered it. But I think the only uh, news story I found in the U.S. was CBS for some reason. And then, of course, Christian um, news outlets. But um, so now, you know, it, it, we're at a point where the, the evidence is overwhelmingly um, far beyond 5%. And actually, I think they, uh, you know, the, as some of the biased researchers who are so invested in showing that abortion is not harmful to women cite even lower figures or even say that women benefit psychologically from abortion compared to birth. Which is, I mean... <sighs> The idea that, you know, there's a uniform emotional reaction to such a serious life event is right. is absurd on its face, that exactly. all women feel relief and nothing else. You know, that's the, right. that's the narrative. And I think, you know, a lot of the studies focus on uh, mental health problems or actual diagnoses of depression and anxiety, different forms of anxiety, PTSD, general anxiety, depression, but there's also a whole large range of reactions that where women may not meet criteria for a mental illness, but their lives are significantly compromised by just feelings of grief and sadness and shame and remorse and uh, just all kinds of negative emotions that don't put them in a category of a mental illness, but still uh, they suffer profoundly. Mm. And then, so in your opinion, what is, uh, why is that adverse psychological impact so suppressed, not only in the media, because as you say, there was censorship by omission after your groundbreaking work was published, but, what, but in the mental health community, there's a closing of the ranks. Why? Why? Well, why do you think that is so? Well, I think for a long time there's been fear that, and you know, I don't know if the actual uh, origin of the fear, but that we see it um, uh, come out in different places. But there is this fear that um, once the mental health impact of abortion is public and uh, mental health professionals are counseling on the on the topic and trying to help women once we once we as a society acknowledge that it's harmful to women then there are fears about restrictions and you know we've seen that with the overturning of Roe um, but 
the fight even against a waiting periods is so strong. I've helped multiple states just enact 24-hour waiting periods or you know it's long, some of them are the longest is 72 I believe in, in South Dakota but the fight against the waiting period which if you know if you're woman centered you want you want women to make a decision that's appropriate for them so 24 hours is not going to change much and data suggests that about 8% will change their mind and choose life if they um if a waiting period has been enacted, and um, and some will feel more sure about their decision to abort. So it's just common. It's common sense that, that with with a procedure that's unlike any other that has such long term, you know, irreversible um, effects that women would take time. And and within that window, they can also seek out um, sources of help if they want to choose to have their babies. And so I I've seen if they're going to fight that hard against a simple uh, you know, law that allows women more time, then they're they're going to fight, you know, very seriously on all fronts. And mm. so, I think it's the fear of restrictions is is part of it, and that you know, and the claim that if women don't have access to abortion, then they won't have access to equal opportunities and education and employment, and all of that. Um, and then there's also what we've talked about already is the fact that the research is mixed. There are studies out there that have been published in prestigious journals because the results are consistent with the dominant, um, you know, ideology that is, uh, you know, open access to abortion. So there is mixed research. So it requires um, practitioners, researchers, you know, or women to decipher, you know, when there when there's data that's being presented with opposite conclusions, it's it's confusing, and so. Um, you know, I think that's the controversy is based on mostly the fear of restrictions and then and then just trying to weed through the data, which has become easier and easier as more and more large scale studies have been published, you know, with thousands, hundreds of thousands of women. And, and there's so many now they they can't keep hiding all these. All right. Of these. <laughs> right. So you mentioned an 81% increase in the risk factor for having negative mental health impact after abortion, you know, showing up in the research once we started to have more research from Ferguson and others. And it's it's curious to me that if they really have opportunity and equality and all of these noble aims in mind for women, but we know that it will put some women at risk for mental health problems down the line. Why right. there hasn't been a uniform imposition of screening for these risk factors? Because, of course, there isn't. Of course, abortion businesses are still operating on, you know, a lack of informed consent, not right. warning women, not screening for existing, you know, risk factors. Um, it, 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 in your opinion, is there any is there any movement to try to screen more more uh, ethically and, and um, with more care for women, those women that might be at risk for, for problems after abortion? Uh, well, I've not seen much evidence of it. I noticed that Planned Parenthood at least has updated some of their sources. At one point, they were just citing a couple of studies from the 90s. And so... Um, I guess you know, there might be a little bit of effort to at least use more contemporary studies, but it's always the studies that are done by the um, the researchers who are obviously invested in and in showing or that abortion is 
benign. And there's also, we need to think about, too, the, the monetary incentive because mm-hmm. it is big business. And so um, there's that factor. I was on a case, um, a civil case in New Jersey, a young woman by the name of Stacy Zally hung herself in her room after an abortion. And that abortion was... Um, conducted by Stephen Brigham, who I think has lost his medical license in several states. But part of my job as an expert was to analyze the informed consent form. And it literally said that it's common for women to have 20 or more abortions. That was just ridiculous, pulled out of thin air. And this poor woman, a young girl who was forced into the abortion by her boyfriend and the father of the boyfriend, family didn't know anything about it. She read that when making a decision. So, and that is the extreme, you know, one end of just being preposterous. And, and the, you know, so the mainstream abortion providers um, try to be a little bit more balanced. You might find something about it, it's normal to feel some sadness after the procedure or, or something like that. But, um, but women are not getting the truth when they walk in those doors about um, what's at risk in terms of their future. Right. And I, you know, in my experience, and I was 23 years old, I wasn't ignorant, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd been to college. And, uh, uh-huh. but when my, you know, uh, there's this gap that I don't think the average person understands. Because you will still hear people talk about a private decision between a woman and her provider. But right. her, her GYN doesn't know she's doing this. And she has no idea exactly. who, who the provider of that abortion is. And, right. you know, so so sometimes her GYN will refer her to a provider, which is what happened in my case. So right. so being uninformed, I'm extending the trust that my physician, you know, extended to this referral. And I'm thinking, right. you know, so it must be all on the up and up. You know, and yeah. there, there was no, there were no screening questions. Uh, there was no, a- anyway, I just, um, I don't think, I don't think the average person who believes that abortion is a net good in the lives of women who experience it, they have no idea how it actually unfolds. And in the, right. un- in the unfolding is setting, is setting the stage for a lot of the problems that follow. Yes, it's, it, yes, it's just <laughs> It's just horrible. I'm sorry to hear your experience. Sadly, that's that's echoed every day. You know, thousands of women each week, and it's um, and and they don't spend time typically with the abortion provider or a trained uh, counselor prior. It's very fast. They don't they they don't get information. There's the assumption that women arrive there knowing that that's what they want to do, uh, when often they don't even understand the procedure or, or the fact that they may fall into a high-risk group. Um, you know, that's another uh, area that we have strong evidence on. And not only does women gener- do women generally experience an increased risk for mental health problems, but there are certain characteristics of women that put them at a higher risk group. So there are risk factors that are well-established and are not even controversial. You see them in the abortion 
provider textbooks. You see them cited by, like, the American Psychological Association. And so professional organizations acknowledge that certain women are at greater risk, and yet they're not screened. Um, we know for sure that if women are pressured or coerced into abortion, they're more likely to have a problem, or if they're committed to the pregnancy, experience some bonding or attachment, if they're further along in the pregnancy, um, if they have religious beliefs, um, or other uh, belief systems that don't condone abortion. Uh, we also know when they're in conflicted relationships with the partner, they're more likely to have problems afterwards. And adolescents and young women are more at risk, and so and they have the majority of abortions. Uh, so we, we do know that women, there's a, there are profiles of women, and when you look at all these risk factors, there's hundreds of studies on the risk factors. You know, which women are are going are are really walking into that um, procedure with a, a significantly higher risk, like you know, very high when you add them up. Because some women, you know, poor women are more at risk because poor women tend to have belief systems that are pro-life, and so and then they also often are pressured because they don't. Um, you know, they, they're told by people around them that they don't have the means for a child. So, um, so when you add up all these risk factors, so many of the women that walk into our clinics are at much higher risk than those general figures that we see in the literature. Mm. And yet, as you say, even though the, the abortion doctors who are training other abortion doctors have it in their textbook that these risks exist. Yeah. The still the headline is abortion safer than childbirth. Right. And yeah, it's ridiculous. I, and that goes back to a study by Raymond and Grimes published in 2012 that figure of 12 to 14 times safer than childbirth, but that I that study is riddled with with uh issues in terms of bias and the methodological um assumptions and so forth. So, so, Dr. so the science is, excuse me, but the science is just not scrutinized mm. by anyone, by the academic community, by practitioners, or by the public when it's when the results are consistent with the dominant belief. Right. Dr. Coleman, have, have you suffered uh, blowback either professionally or from abortion proponents, abortion rights proponents, I should say, because of the work that you're doing to, you know, quantify and uh, make known the actual facts yeah. around this? <laughs> you can characterize my life at last 30 years as having a lot of that going on. I, mm. There's a Wikipedia on me that's just full of lies, and a couple different research groups in other countries have tried to, I've tried to uh, fix it, correct it, and it always is reverted back. Um, so that's just you know one example, but I, it's been pretty constant attack, and um, and I think the, it's actually increased in, the, in recent years because I've been serving as an expert witness in a lot of cases, and um, and we've been successful. For example, I was on um, Florida's um, their. Um, waiting period, which just a 24-hour waiting period case. They were litigating for seven years, and we finally won about uh, not quite a year ago on summary judgment. And so, um, and that doesn't happen very often. And I was the primary, or I think I may have been the only academic expert. There were doctors as well. And so because I wrote, you know, 
150-page report and lots of data. And so I'm a lot more of a threat now than ever before. Mm. Uh, and I hope everyone listening will pray for you. You know, this is a this is a Christian broadcast, and I appreciate that. we're not necessarily <laughs> talking about your faith in this. We're talking about your role as a, as an academic, as a scientist, as a as a seeker and teller of the truth. And it's so rare that yeah. uh, you really stand alone as someone who who will be targeted. Right. <laughs> But I feel protected by God, and I honestly, I you know, I am a Christian, and I would, I would be anxious about not fo- following the call He has on my life, and mm. so I, mm. I feel the safest doing what I know I'm on this earth to do, and I, you know, I so I feel supported by God, and I feel supported by by truth and by the science. So it's, um, you know, I'm comfortable about it, I as comfortable as I can be, and thankful for the many blessings that have come my way. Mm. Uh, and uh, let that be um, an admonishment to all of us listening, that it is much safer to put yourself in danger in the world's eyes by doing what God has called you to do, <laughs> and then the right. opposite. <laughs> so yeah. Dr. Priscilla <laughs> Coleman is our guest, and I want to just mention briefly that she is going to be on the panel uh, for a conference that's coming up that's open to the public in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, in April. And we'll have all the details at cradlemyheart.org if you would like to come and hear Dr. Coleman's presentation, learn more about her work. Uh, that would be one of the great ways to do it. We do have two parts of our conversation today. So if you are just joining us or if you're hungry to know more, please uh, be sure and listen to the following broadcast to the one that you're listening to now for part two of our conversation with Dr. Priscilla Coleman. Uh, Dr. Coleman, we'll be back Mm -hmm. and we'll ask some questions about the barriers to women recovering after abortion, as well as uh, the hope that we have uh, that that really can be a reality. Thanks so much for being with us. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola preventing abortion, and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.